got it. Yo, we got it. Can't relate. No, no. You what we not. Fucking bitch. Don't let it go. Let it go. Cause once it drop, once it drop, you can't replace it. It's not a swap. I've been plotting on this moment. My whole life has been a stakeout. Held back in the past, but it's time to raise the stakes now. Hi, welcome to the Working Fans Podcast. You can find us every week. By following along on Twitter, we're at FansWorking. If you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. I am the pro. I'm AJ Strangebrew. We've got the producer, Joe, who's going to be working with us. And my co-host in Guiding Light, Dave's the biggest fan I know. Um, that music that played us in today, that was actually brought to us by our producer. I'm going to let him tell you all about it. Joe, who is that? That is Nick Caution, and the song is Warning Signs. <clears throat> it popped up in my new music list on Apple Music. When I hear music like that, I expect it. There will either be the Smoked is a Ringside series, where he specifically turns wrestling theme songs into songs. This one caught me by surprise, and I just wanted to share it with everybody as our wrestling and pop culture no joe that's great music and it gets us fired up and heading in the right direction and that direction that we're going to start off with first is going to be brought to you by dave that's going to be our news of the week welcome everybody to the last episode of 2019 last week you heard us go over our history in our own words and this week i kind of wanted to do that more with the episodes we've recorded. When we first started recording, we sent out a couple demo episodes to friends just to see if what we were doing would be worth it. So from that first episode, we have a sample intro and how I was looking to do wrestling and culture at that time. Being a big hip hop fan, a lot of those songs I had planned on working in. Obviously, the one problem being we don't own any copyrights. So that was something that had to quickly be forgotten. Another segment was something we wanted to do with This Week in Wrestling History. On this particular episode, Dave had recapped a particularly bad Halloween Havoc, I believe. And also, we have a couple 531s in there for you couple early ones we did the top five super heavyweights the top five women that changed wrestling as we know it and the top five wrestlers not in the hall of fame i in general wanted to structure this episode like our episodes usually flow but put in these historic segments and we also have the matt coon lost audio drop i never use this because i didn't want to Barry Coon for giving the wrong name, or AJ for how the situation was handled, or myself for not prepping better. But if there was ever an episode to put this piece of audio, it is right here. So thank you for listening to us in 2019. We have big dreams for 2020, and we hope you're all there. And like we said, if everybody that listened could please subscribe to the YouTube channel, and we'd very much appreciate it. So happy new year, and enjoy 2020. Working Fans Podcast, cool. Yep. All right, here we go. Coming down three, two. For another week of the Working Fans Podcast, this is AJ, I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us, as we do every week. Our producer, Joe, mate, likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter, that's at FansWorking. 
Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast and for any ideas that you might have. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram where you can keep up with us at WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms, including Anchor.fm. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. If you're listening to this podcast right now, the Working Fans Podcast, then Happy New Year to you, and we know you can listen to other podcasts, but take the time to listen to this one, man. I mean, hey, I love podcasts myself, and I'll be listening. So (laughs) don't think you have to be an AEW guy or a WWE guy or girl. You know what? You can watch. And, and, and just watch some fucking wrestling and enjoy it for what it is. You don't have to, just because you like one doesn't mean you have to hate the other. 100%. Just, you know what? Don't watch that. If you don't like it, don't watch it. Watch what you like because there's a lot more to choose from now. Awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, Matt. And, um, sure thing. And, and thanks for having me. Uh, we appreciate it. That's, uh, um, is there any way we can get just a little sound by just say, just something, you know, a little, uh, this is Matt Coon, and you're listening to the Work Fans Podcast. There you go. He made it simple for me. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> uh, let's say it again. So, basically, this is something like, uh, I'm Matt Coon, and you're listening to the Working Fans Podcast. Oh, sure. Sure. Hey, everybody. This is Matt Coon, and you are listening to the Working Man's Podcast. <laughs> all right, Matt, I'm sorry. Thank you very much. You're the best. All right, no problem at all. Thanks, guys, and uh, let me know when it's up, and I'll retweet it and all that stuff for you guys. All right, man. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks, guys. You guys have a great night, okay? You too, man. Thank you, man. All right, thanks. This is the Blue Thunder, Jay Freddy, Tokyo, USA, Pro Wrestling Worldwide, Pro Wrestling and you are listening to the Working Fans Podcast. Yeah! Yo, this is number one. John Silver, I'm talking about the meat man. I'm talking about that big boy. And of course, you know, I'm talking about the raw dog. And you're listening to the Working Fan Podcast. Consumers, this is Richard Holiday, the most marketable man in wrestling and the AirPod God. And you are listening to the Consumers Working Podcast. <laughs> Just kidding. It's the Working Fans Podcast. This is Roy Lusher, and you're listening to the Working Band Podcast. Hey, it's Jason Agnew from Sunday Night's Main Event, and you are listening to the Working Fans Podcast. Hello, everybody. It's former WWE superstar Al Snow, and you're listening to the Working Fan Podcast. This is Amanda Steele, Mike Verna, and you are listening to the Working Fans Podcast, a hell of a podcast, everything wrestling, everything life. Do yourself a favor, check this out. Hey, wrestling fans, this is Mr. Technical Barry Horowitz. When I listen to the finest podcast, I listen to the Working Fans Podcast. It is supreme, because I said so. 
Hey, this is Bobby Blaze, former Smoky Mountain Heavyweight Champion, and you're listening to the Working Fans Podcast. Working Fans Podcast. This is a solo Joe interview, and if you can hear my voice reverberating, we are in the depths of the burnt basement, That's right. and I'm here with Sheaf. How's it going tonight, Sheaf? I'm good. I just had a day. I was rushing around, going about 600 miles an hour, but I'm glad... I- this is actually the first time I'm sitting down relaxing. I sat down at work, but then somebody chased me out, so. Yeah, Merry well, Christmas. Yeah, it's the annual Christmas party here at the BBPL. That's right. For anybody not familiar, tell us a little bit about the BBPL and how it came about. Well, the BBPL stands for Burnt Basement Pong League. It's been taking place in my grandmother's basement for seven years, technically, with some start and stop, but seven years. And, like, kind of describe it, because when I tell people about it, it's kind of like beer pong meets pro wrestling. Right. That's pretty much the gist of it. You know, it started, it's been different people to start or be through it, but me and Tom were the first two to start it, along with a couple other people. Was Jesse anywhere in that mix, or did yep. he come later? Yeah, no, Jesse was there. Jesse That's was Jesse there from start. New Hampshire for Jesse regular listeners. Yeah, it started off just, see, I, I played beer pong maybe once or twice, and I just couldn't get into it. And then people hanging out in the basement, hanging around Fridays, oh, let's play beer pong. Sure, whatever, and it just snowballed and snowballed. And Jesse was the one, I think Jesse was the one to introduce belts, because this was about 10, 12 years after the fact. Me and Jesse were almost crippling each other in our backyards for those same belts, but Jesse had them still from his childhood. So he's like, yeah, let's get belts involved. So that's where the wrestling aspect kind of came into it. And that sort of snowballed. Instead of just belts, you know, it just grew to friggin' storylines and angles and now promos on the page. Right, and then one day it was like, all right, well, we got promotions. So, yeah. And it's a good time. I mean, you guys welcomed me in. It's got to be, what, five, six years ago now? I think, yeah. What was it, 14? I can't remember the exact year, but I remember, like, I started working with Don at Stop and Shop, and then he knew I liked wrestling, so eventually I started talking to you. Right. And it just grew. Now, like, when did you first become a fan of wrestling? Oof. Uh, I had this conversation before, someone a few weeks ago, or days ago. I'm not one of those people, I beat, I've beaten my brain up a lot, physically, chemically, over the years, so... I can't tell you the pinpoint moment I started watching. I'm jealous of those people. It's like, oh, it was, you know, Sean versus Owen that very moment. But I, I really can't. I just I can remember, remember Hogan on TV. Like, right. I, can't, I can't remember a specific year. Mm. But, you know, like, I can pinpoint it to maybe when Hogan was big. But I remember seeing him on TV and thinking, like, wow. And then not getting into it to, like, maybe... Late, that late WCW 80s, 90s, like right. right before it switched over to the Nitro era. Uh-huh. So, like, that's about where I can pinpoint it to, but yeah. that's... I can remember the era. I can't remember the specific moment that got me hooked. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's about, like, the early Nitro era, like I'd say, is when Sean was still the hardcore stripper. Taker was still, like, you know, the purple zombie... Brett was on, Brett, I mean, for listeners too, Brett is my favorite of all time, and he is the greatest professional wrestler of all time. You can come find me on social media, and I'll argue that until the day is done. Where can they Um, find you, actually? We didn't even promote that off the top. Uh, Instagram is at tsheef92, T-S-H-E-F, yeah, that's how I spell my name, yep, 92. (laughs) 
Twitter is she first side. It used to be Shifa side, like homicide, my take on that. No, but yeah, Shifa side. So yeah, and then social or uh, Facebook, Tyler Schieffer. I'm friends with Joe. I follow Joe on everything. So if you find him, you can find me pretty quickly after that. So yeah. Yeah, and I was actually, I had to get you on because I heard you on the Thick and Sweaty podcast, I believe. Thick and Sweaty, couple great people. Actually, we can connect something with Stefan, the guy on there. He was a former indie guy from Canada. He wrestled, I can't even think, maybe over 10 years. He's thinking he started young, but um, he tells me some great stories. He worked with a lot of names, too. He actually, he's from Winnipeg. He uh, knew Kenny Omega in the early days. So in terms of people, like, you hear Jericho, Roddy Piper, Cyrus from Winnipeg. But he was around Omega a lot then, too. So it's interesting from his perspective seeing someone... Who knew Omega then? And, like, you know, obviously Omega is one of, like, the top wrestlers in the world. Um, it's almost like somebody from your high school blowing up. Right. He's got some great stories. Hilarious stories. I mean, he would be a gem on here, definitely. Oh, I'd love to get him. Like, I listened to that episode, and they hooked me from their conversation before they even talked to you. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. I'm, like, I subscribed immediately. I'm like, oh, shit. This would be hmm. somebody to talk to. Yeah, him and his lady, and. Steph has his own wrestling-specific podcast on the side with another guy, Curtis Housen, who has a pretty successful memorabilia store in Canada. Pushes autographs, 8x10s, like fucking nothing. I mean, I'm not a sports guy outside of, I guess, MMA is technically, quote-unquote, the sport I would know. Anybody like that, baseball, football, firstrow.ca, if anybody needs some uh, Canadian-sponsored memorabilia. Now, you got into the tape trading game, I believe, early, right? Like, you said you were pretty young. Well, I was lucky for where I live. Still the same house I've talking to you this from. The mall, about five minutes from me, had a Suncoast, uh, which turned into FYE. And Suncoast, I'm sure a lot of listeners remember, this was... This is the Crystal Mall in Waterford. Right. See, I thought that used to be Suncoast, and what was it, Record Town that was at the other end of the mall? Strawberries. Really, the one that was like a shitty little... Yeah. Where you're like, I'm not going to that record store, that's basically a closet. See, now my own memory's fucking with me, because I can't remember if it was Straw... I think it was Strawberries, not Suncoast. I thought Strawberries turned into FYE. Yeah, I think and then I can't remember what the other one was. It could be Record Town, mm. could be fucking Suncoast. I bet it was one of each of these at some point. Right, but reading the magazine, this is still like the early years of the internet. And I, um, I mean, if I messed around a computer like that when I was a kid, it'd be wrestling stuff anyway. But whichever store it was, I was reading in the magazines they were starting to advertise the FMW tapes that were getting shipped here. Tokyo Pop was putting them out. Like the base of it. Because this is like ECW heyday. This is when ECW was on TNN. And my wrestling taste, I still loved Brett and Sean Ray and everybody. But I was really getting into violence. Which, I mean, I'm lucky. You know, I was like six, seven years old. But um, This is about the same time you and Jesse were trying to cripple each other outside. Obviously, I recognized Cactus. But then once you get into it, oh, double barbed wire. Because, you know, the adjectives with those old FMW death matches. Double hell barbed wire, dynamite, explosion, barricade, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, and you're like, and what I'm the like, fuck what is the that? fuck does any of this mean besides barbed wire? So I started watching it. The first tape they put out, their King of the Deathmatch tape, for hardcore FMW people like this, they'll know, it was the May 5th, 96 Kawasaki Stadium show. God damn, you're going Roy Lucier deep on I this. I am, I am. And the main event, well, another person name I recognized, Terry Funk and Mr. Pogo, 
versus two people that would become two of my all-time favorites, no matter what country, no matter what era, Hayabusa and Masato Tanaka. So you can oh, imagine yeah. they had the whole gimmick, the uh, two sides, barbed wire on the floor, explosion, the two sides, the time bomb after 15, 20 minutes. So I fucking fell in love with this. So I started picking up any FMW tape I could find, anything, everything. I don't know if this is the same time or a little bit later, Big Japan started putting stuff out to America. That was a whole other thing. <laughs> a swig of Christmas Corona for the working man. <laughs> Um, I was hoping the Steve Austin uh, impression would come out. So, this is another thing. I wish I could remember the light bulb click in the moment, but getting online, I somehow came across a guy. And if he's out there, if anybody can locate this guy, please put me in contact with him. Because Bahu, who does the FMW page now, I have friggin' sent that guy so many heartfelt drunk messages about, oh man, I was in third grade your site you know i read everything your site and the guy's name's brett he's a huge brett mark too so if you're out there bahu let's talk about hayabusa and brett one day so i ended up stumbling upon this guy sean gold violent j tapes from florida and again too i wish i could remember how the fuck these pieces came together but i was getting big japan compilation tapes i don't know this this had to be 2000 we'll say 2000 so about seven, eight years old. And this shit. Just to put that in perspective, I graduated high school in 2000. Mm. So this stuff was coming out. And like I said, this, was, this wasn't this was the Attitude Era. I call it the tail end of the Attitude Era, but things were still hot. Yeah, that'd be about and, right. Because I remember the Attitude Era taking off when I stopped being interested like in wrestling. 98. That's a whole other topic. I think 96, 97 had little sprinkles that led up to the Attitude Era. Yeah. Then by 98, it was full blown. That was during high school. And I was really kind of like, fuck the world during that time. So like... When exactly I fell off, I don't remember. I mean, I remember Hogan turning heel, and, like, maybe that was about the time, a little after that, that I was like, I'm good with this. See, like, the the Monday Night War might have peaked. That That's the cloud for me. See, the fan I was still in high school, and, like, I don't blame people. Everyone's got different lives. My friend Jesse, too. I mean, Jesse's a lifelong fan, but he's gone out in spurts. I've never, I won't say I've never fallen out of love of wrestling, because I have. That's a other topic. That's a deep, deep drunk topic. No, You've just never not followed to some right. degree. Right. It's always been a force of habit for me a lot. And the only time I ever stopped paying attention to a lot of WWE stuff was when I was an angsty 13, 14-year-old who was like, oh, you know, fuck Cena. I'm, I want Necro Butcher to stab Cena's <laughs> fucking brains out. And then, you know, I grew up a little bit after I saw Sean carry Cena to... Oh, Cena put up his own in that five-star Mania match. And then the hour went on Raw after in England. But now I don't... Okay, now I remember. Um, so, like I said, this was 2000, 2001. So, Jesse, lifelong fan. Attitude Era. It's kind of like the Hogan kids, too, when it was that popular. People that didn't watch wrestling now watched it then. So, this was... Uh, oh, no. So, this was the era of, obviously, Austin Rock... Trips, the Hardys, everybody, Taker. So I was still loving all that stuff. WCW, they were on their last leg, I think, by this point. So everyone's like, yeah, Rock Austin, come to school. Y'all don't know shit till you see Mr. Pogo. <laughs> no, I love New Jack. I feel like every fat white kid of my generation loves New Jack for one reason. And he doesn't like us if they're watching Mass Transit. No, but uh, I was terrified to meet him thinking he wanted to kill me because he just looked like that. Yeah, so it was pretty nuts seeing that stuff. 
like the contrast of it for me i was just still and it's pretty wild that you like like you grew up still liking the wwe wwf wcw but then you're also getting this FMW, ECW at the same time. Right. And that's so, when ECW was on the way out, too. Like, from your perspective, like, this year, wrestling has become so rich for people. Like, have you always had that variety, you think, with your generation? I Because you're, like, ten years younger than me so. about, so. I think so. Between points of just, like, having different tastes growing up. But it's, like, nowadays... And you grew up with TNA, too. It wasn't this thing that came along when you were older right. that you're like, ooh, I don't know if that's going to catch on. Yeah. TNA ROH starting the same time, too. That kind of smartened me up a lot. I think... I've just kind of always been like that. There's a lot of stuff in terms of today's wrestling that's a whole... I go back and forth on. Like I told you, Sire, it's... um. I don't say it's a bad thing. I don't say, like, I hate it. But people ask, why do you love wrestling and stuff like that? I mean, I'm sure I could give you an answer if I thought about it. I don't know sometimes. I know I like it. I know yeah. I'm still intrigued by a lot of stuff today. But I'm like, I don't know. What even started, too? Cause For I me, still- sometimes I think it's storylines, the things they build. Like, just the way they tell stories. You see a character and you're like, I want to see how this guy finishes things. Right. Out. And I guess even to a lot of people, too, that's all bagel these days. But... In terms of, I've always had the taste, yeah, it's still kind of the same thing today. Like, um, I can watch Flair and Steamboat for an hour, turn around and watch Ray and Hoovy, turn around and watch uh, Necro Butcher and Madman Pondo stab each other with glass. <laughs> and not complain about anything. Like, yeah. maybe we'll, like, clown on some stuff or, right. like, make a joke, but it's never like, oh, fuck this. Yeah, and it's like, like, you know, message board arguments or that shit when you're younger. I'm at the point, too, not even wrestling this in general, where, like, I don't have the energy to, like, argue and complain about something unless it's really worth it i can see it for what it is now yeah you know? and that's why with this podcast we focus more on stuff we like rather than things we see wrong right we'll bring up something if we we're just like eh, i'm not a big fan of that but it's yeah more focusing on the positive rather than on the negative yeah i don't i don't try to say this in like an entitled way or it comes across like spoiler or anything because there's so much fucking wrestling today there is so much goddamn. I thought there was a lot just being in high school. And, like, you grow up, you get busy with work, life, and everything. I thought I was, like, all over the place in high school. I'm like, oh, shit, there's three. Uh, there's a Big Japan show, a New Japan show, IWMSL, torrent, 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 torrent. Now, I'm exhausted to the point where I'm like, I don't even know. There's so much. Like, Mania Weekend for me is that kind of revival weekend. Where I'm like 15, I'm going to watch every freaking second of something in a ring this weekend. I don't give a fuck. And then after that, like, I just shut down again for a little bit. Because it's like, I got to process. That can be exhausting, especially if you're keeping up with the NXT, the WrestleMania, the variety of shows that pop up from 11 a.m. to, what, 10 p.m.? Yeah, 2 a.m. if you got the... We I've been to a couple of the Janela Spring Breaks, and those things are marathons. I think... Social media is like a whole different perspective on wrestling now too, because people like I like Janela for the most part. I really do. I like his gimmick. I like how he's like an FMW ECW disciple. He wants to keep carrying this on. The I almost day. feel like he's a Cornette disciple in some way. But you see stuff like that with Cornette or the pandering or this and that. And like I'm always the first to say, and I I don't want to sound hypocritical. I will sound hypocritical. I'm always the first to say. You know, people bring up Dick Murdoch. Let's cancel Dick Murdoch from 30, 40 years ago because he was rumored a racist or this one. 
And then at the same time, the flip side, I'm like, I can still love Dick Murdoch, watch Dick Murdoch. Now with Janella, because maybe because I didn't follow Isn't Dick Murdoch almost... on Twitter. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but I can kind of see a little bit, like, you kind of get to know the person more. It's where you're like, yeah. Is like, it kind of like the Benoit thing, too, where you have to separate oh, the, the, the person from the tragedy or the controversy? I think there's a lot of favoritism. I'll tell you this. If Lex Luger, who I mean, I loved him when I was four, but if Lex Luger, whatever, would have killed his wife and kid that fucking June 2007, whatever. R.I.P. Miss Elizabeth. You are right. Okay, bad example. He did kill a woman, but um, <laughs> uh, so I'll probably have to edit out that hard <laughs> laugh. Yeah, but if someone less desired or someone like that, or um, wouldn't any, you know, that? But I don't know. Benoit. Does the tragedy elevate the worker? Because like for me, it's tough because Benoit hands down awesome worker that. I don't think can be argued. Yeah. The tragedy has clouded it so much. And like, I don't know if over the years, maybe it's raised his status in our minds because we haven't seen as much of his matches. We're going more on memory. True. I think this concussion, everything is so distorted. And like I said, social media, you see people you would never. God, what about that one account you follow with that chick that loves Benoit? Anybody on Instagram, go f- look up the page Chris Bedwa Love You, just the letter U. There's a girl from Italy who is literally, like, it, it's funny until it gets fucking serious. Where- You've showed it to me, and it's sometimes it's <laughs> funny, and sometimes it's, wow, this is a girl that would write Charles Manson if he were alive. Right. And I mean, if Benoit didn't kill his family, maybe it wouldn't be like that. What about someone who dies of natural causes? Where's the Eddie Gilbert Love You page? Where's the girl drawing pictures of Eddie Gilbert wanting to fuck his corpse? But, and then you look at two of the contrast. Look at Snuka. Yeah, true. I don't know. Benoit's a touchy subject, I think, for everybody. Because, like, I'm one out of millions of people that follow this journey watching wrestling your whole life. And yeah. You think back, oh, Benoit gone. Like, I remember that day. and I can't tell you what happened the last two weeks. I remember finding that out when Benoit died. But... I don't know. Like, I was trying to uh, corner back around with, like, the Murdoch thing. I guess with people's personalities and you see more of, like, that. Benoit is just, like, fuck. It's still mind-blowing for me, honestly. Yeah. And I feel like every deep fan who's watched long enough felt personally betrayed. Sometimes you talk about it like we knew him. Sometimes you talk about it like we would be Malenko, you'd think, knowing him all these years and stuff yeah. like that. So... I don't know. It's such a... Do I think he should go in the Hall of Fame? No. I'm going to get anything out of the way with that. I think We were making a case for it during that one five three one, and then somebody smartly took him out of the equation. I would have put him in just, uh, just because I feel like the work deserves some kind of recognition. Yeah. But the tragedy overshadows it. I understand. And the thing, too, and I was going to wrap around this with tragedies, people like die in tragic circumstances like Owen or Mr. Perfect. Everyone says, oh, this person only gets praised because they're dead. But is it that the people die, but they're just good at what they did? Yeah. Obviously, dying is going to pump your legacy up a lot. But Kurt Hennig, was, like, he proved he was good before he died. You know, obviously shit like that. Eddie and those guys, whatever. Yeah. So, I don't know. 
I don't even know if that answered the question you asked me. That kind of friggin' went off on the trail. I was going to say, we kind of went off like a Grateful Dead jam where that just went 20 minutes. But I'd like to think I kind of got my point across. Yeah, I mean, we're getting close to when people are going to show up. But I think it's pretty wild because it was either here this year or last year that we talked about working on a podcast or starting one. And actually, the MLW (coughs) Review (coughs) is kicking off next year. That's big. Yeah, the start of 2020, I'm starting with the old MLW tapes, eventually catching up with catching it live. I feel like the old MLW's forgotten. Not by you, but I mean in general. I feel like some people kind of, they're remiss talking about the old one. Oh yeah, and we'll be watching it. We're going to talk a lot about that. We're hoping to have Burnt Basement featured in the new year. That would be Because we've been talking about getting on a podcast long enough, like... I think 2020 is going to be the year, so let's wrap this up. I want I want two. I don't want to... Oh, shit, yeah. Seven. We got to get you to promote. I want five rapid-fire wrestling questions from Joe Sayar. Five rapid-fire questions. Maybe that will show if there's a listener that if I had to show my taste to somebody. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I got you. Let me think. It's going to... They'll be rapid-fire once I can get an idea for it. And in terms of favorite stuff like that, like I say Brett's my favorite because he's like... He's the guy who got me a dude. He's my favorite just from growing up little... I mean, favorite wrestler count... I mean, oh, what's your top ten? I can give you nine. Once I get to number ten... Oh, it's Barry Windham. It's Great Muda. It's fucking Sabu. So I'm fucking, you know, so bear with me. (laughs) What was your first disappointment in wrestling? Like the first time that wrestling had let you down? When Jeff, I I don't know if this is the first, but this is the first I can really think of. Oh, actually I cry. I remember crying giant. Well, Big Show when he was a giant. Kicking the shit out of Ray or something. Or he choked slam Ray six million times or something. But I remember them stretching Ray out crying. And I remember when Jeff and Taker had their ladder match for the title on Raw. And I was like nine. I didn't really, my God, that upset with wrestling a long time. Jeff came. They told such a good story. Jeff came so close. Like, JR, he's touching it. He's t-. He literally, he had his hands on the belt getting ready to grab it, but he didn't win it. And I remember Big Evil Taker, which I felt betrayed. Because now he's a meth dealer on a motorcycle. And he's not trying to, like, bury Kamala in a casket anymore. So I'm a little heated to begin with. Pulls the belt down. I, no, it's not the same couch we had, but I punched the back of the couch. Not broken, but I started crying. I was like, God damn it. But yeah, <laughs> probably that, yeah. Of course, after that, the last time wrestling disappointed me, God, how many friggin' beers we got in the fridge? No. <laughs> but, oh, tonight will be full of them. Uh, second question, let's go with all-time favorite tag team, and why do you think you like them to the degree that you do? Just from... It's a one. It's a one A for me. It's the that's close enough. That's fine. And the Steiners, and growing up as a kid, just because they were both top team. Obviously, LOD had the sickest fucking look. Everybody wanted their action figures. Everybody wanted to paint everything. Just growing up like that, and now I look back, Steiners legit for one of the best teams ever. If I'm going smarter picks when I'm older, Furnace and Crawford, Cam Express, Midnight Express, Arn and Tully, you know. I'd love to see some more Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens everybody talks about, but that footage, they didn't have networks then, so. Yeah. <sighs> oh, excuse me. What do you think is the thing that you enjoyed most this year in wrestling? The John Moxley story. Him leaving a job that he was fed up with, that he felt like he was caged. That's why he's one of my favorites today, too, is someone who saw him before the WWE Rise and After. A guy who, um, you can tell 
he's a smart worker. He's an old he's an old soul with wrestling like that. You know, it's Terry Funk and his Piper influences. I think yeah, the story of him finally getting out of a job that he felt like he was cuffed in, and now he's out and free. And you see him one night he does a death match. One night he's doing shoot style. He wants to face Josh Barnett. He's getting on a plane going to Japan. He's gonna face this. And it's just I think he's having an incredible run this year. I think also this year. If I really broke it down, maybe someone else. But I think just off the last month alone, uh, Adam Cole's probably had the best match catalog in WWE this year. Yeah. Adam Cole has fucking killed it every chance they give him. What was it? They were stuck in Saudi Arabia. They needed him on a whim for SmackDown. He went out put on that banger with Brian. I think everything Adam Cole's done this year has been fucking phenomenal. So. That's a real good one. Yeah. How far do you think wrestling's come in the last five years? And is it, is it wild for you to see as a lifelong fan? Styles-wise, I don't think it's evolved much in the last five. I think the indies kind of, not hit a plateau, but I think they rose to a certain peak 2014, 2015 with quote-unquote flip. The indies now has the same variety the indies had 10, 15 years ago. Flips, death matches, submit. It's just different people in different places and different companies in different spots. Technology wise With networks And streaming And all this stuff It has blown my mind Where People with Like you know Everyone used to look down Oh they got a YouTube TV show Like how low rate is that Millions and millions And millions and millions And millions of people Are on YouTube That friggin see anything And everything Wrestling or not so technology-wise, it has blown my fucking mind some shit. Going I on. think Roy Lusher said the same thing, that just technology has made everything so much more accessible. And it's just, if you're one of those deep dive type people, you can look up anything. Yeah, you used to have to pray to God at 3 in the morning you could find a bootleg stream on some foreign browser for the Dome show. Now you can watch it right fucking delivered to you, like, you know. With English commentary. Yeah, even if it is Kevin Kelly, it's still English commentary. <laughs> For the last question, if you were to have your own segment on a podcast, what would you talk about each week? I like wrestling still today, but I feel like I'm better talking about things from the past. I feel like I could describe maybe like a past segment or like a, I like Cornette's In the News on 605, how they pull out headlines and he reviews them. Yeah, probably stuff like that. Like, I've seen a lot of stuff the last four or five years, but I couldn't tell you, you know, every single, like, the match catalogs of, like, everyone on the indie, stuff like that. Pentagon, I love him. He's a guy I really just got into the last two or three years seeing a lot of his stuff. So probably for something older. I like dream matches. I think it's fun to think about shit like that and why, where it could have happened, et cetera, et cetera. Well, let's get you down for 2020 for the Burnt Basement section of the podcast where great. we'll talk about it. I like being able to show people something they might not have seen before. And if they come in thinking different, I mean, here's why it would be good. Here's why it'd be different. You know, stuff like that. So, And Chief runs our Instagram page because the rest of us are older and do not understand Instagram. Yeah, I get on tab with that, too. I got to get friggin'. I didn't, did my, do I got the, the pencil for that one? Yeah. Oh, Is yeah. That official? Really? Oh, that's in. Oh, fuck. I've been, all right. I, well, I've been disappointing everybody. Like, like <laughs> well, I we'll, usually do in this fam. No, but. um, <laughs> We'll build it up for 2020. And 2020 is going to be a big year. But it's 6.05 right now. Let's get oh, to drinking. Fuck. Cheers. Cheers, brother. Folks, that was This Week in History. And if you enjoyed that, going forward, we have a segment that is very unique to us. Our producer, Joe, actually came up with a brilliant idea. What's called 
the 531, which is going to be trademarked to our show and something only we're going to be doing. And I'm going to let Joe talk to you more about it right now. 531, it's going to be a debate segment that we developed because the top three lists that you see that anybody makes are your top five, your top three, and your top one. So individually, the three of us each came up with our top five list. The names that pop up in everybody's list or are more common will make it to the top three we debate. From those three, one will be picked as the top one of whatever the topic or genre we're covering it. And it's basically a way for us to take the debate and kind of share it with you. So once we get done, we'll put it out into the ether and then you guys respond to us on our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, telling us what your top five are or what your top three are or where we went wrong arriving at our top one answer mm. and this week we're talking about the top five super heavyweight my top five was andre the giant bam bam bigelow vader big show and yokozuna no particular order there andre was my number one as we'll talk about later yeah so my list mine. guys i think you'll be able to tell by regions where we grew up and by decades and time periods when we discuss these lists and who grew up where and when and with who because my top five consists of one of the best big men i've seen terry gordy bam bam bigelow vader andre and then i've got to give it up one of the best big men that i've seen keith lee hmm. is coming down the pipe for pipe right now and i'm very impressed so far for my top five I put Yokozuna, I got Vader on there, mm. I got Earthquake, Tugboat, and then I finished it out with Abdullah the Butcher. Mm. When I'm thinking super heavyweight, it's, I'm not going to say it's a tough term to really come down on what a super heavyweight is. You're looking for big, sizable people. Sure. I tried to take into consideration super heavyweight for their time period also. Because Terry Gordy, while he was a super heavyweight in his time period, going up against the size that he was... Mm. He, it was almost like if he was a super heavyweight going over and doing the British now. What's a super heavyweight in Britain right now is not necessarily a super heavyweight in the States. Okay, fair enough. But like when I think of Gordy, there was still one-man gang in Kamala in those territories at that time. And I actually Andre. Did, but if you remember, he competed with those guys. He did. And went toe-for-toe -toe with them. And when you look at the way they treated him, they mm -hmm. treated him like he was a giant. I mean, at the end of the day, Terry Gordy is one of my favorite big men of all time. I just don't look at him as a super heavyweight. Which, I have a select list on that. Yeah, which I can understand. Yeah. But even some of the people who we have on our list, like a Bam Bam Bigelow, hmm. I know he's 400 pounds. Yeah. But when you look at him next to an Andre or a Big John Stubb. Okay, or, so that's the thing. To me, once you hit that 400 pound mark, then you're automatically, I'm including you in there. Gotcha. Maybe that's silly, but that's, you know. No, no, and I, I can see sign. that. And that's why the super heavyweight, there probably is a definition somewhere, but when people think of it, Gabe, your line is 400. 400 so pounds. People, it's yeah. just that guy looks sizable. Because like, I've heard people talk about super heavyweights and they talk about The Undertaker. Sure. And yeah. I, I, I don't. I mean, he's not even 300 pounds. No, I don't classify him on my list. Yeah, that's one of the great big men, one of just the great competitors of all time, one of the great characters. But super heavyweight, there's a special select few yeah. I have. When we start talking about what that means and then the category of great super heavy. And, and I think the only reason I, like I said, I include Terry Gordy is because I remember him in that time period, the announcers talking about him as a super heavyweight. Yeah, and I mean, so, it's definitely very arguable. Yeah. This is taking away nothing from Terry Gordy. Yeah. Uh, believe me, and if I thought the guy was shit, I would tell you he was just shit, but I like Terry Gordy. So yeah. I'm not going to knock Terry Gordy. I just, from my classifications... He doesn't meet my super heavyweight requirements. Now, I think our other thing that's going to run into our discussion today 
is the ability of super heavyweights today compared to different time periods in the movie. This is a big factor on my list on why certain guys were top. Yeah, because yeah. there are some people that, um, like I know you have Abdul on your list, and Abdul is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to just athleticism with other super heavyweights, he just never had that athleticism. Very limited. He was a sizable guy that had a brawling mm -hmm. style that was more the he could come out in the crowd and terrorize you in addition. Great aura. Yeah, Great aura, yeah. Not, not a terribly athletic or not mm -hmm. known for his moves as well, much. Well, the funny thing is one of the people that are on our list, and we're going to discuss even more as we go on, is Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant. We saw him. He was now alone. And when we watched him, he was on his decline exactly. in ring-wise. But there was a time period. Not only could he throw a drop kick, but look what he could have other people do. Harley Slam. Race suplexed him. Suplexed him. Body slammed him. Yeah, that wasn't Harley Race just no. picking up 400 Oh, God, pounds. no. No one's picking yeah. up that guy by himself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, yeah, Andre was quite the athlete for his generation. Yeah, and, um, I, and I think some of it becomes a slanted point of view. And Andre, to me, too, and this is where we're going to, again, as we go further deep into this, too, he was the first as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, no, the first was like, hey, Stax Calhoun. He's the first in terms of <laughs> great super heavyweights. <laughs> yeah, he was the first Again, one that was mobile. Let's, so let's, let's go back to, like, I wasn't going to insult Terry Gordy. I got no problem insulting Hey, Stax Calhoun. Well, no, I it, saw his work. It was now, the shits. <laughs> in fairness, also remember, there was a super heavyweight who was working in that time period Help, yeah. who, who actually could work, and that's Gorilla Monsoon. Okay, Gorilla, Gorilla Monsoon, Monsoon was before Andre. One of the all-time greats. And could move. No dismissing that. He doesn't make my top five because he doesn't beat out Andre. No, and he doesn't. And he doesn't beat out the other guys I have. In fairness, he didn't make any of our top five. No, no, no. Because he's not from our time period. But goddamn, he got out of them. But hell, he, <laughs> but hell, neither did the McGuire twins. <laughs> they were just shits as well. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've got our top five list yes. discussed, I think we can move on to the three names that were common amongst the list. They weren't on everyone, but Vader popped up on, on everybody's list. Bam Bam was on both of yours as well as Andre. So going forward, talking about Vader, Bam Bam, Andre. Andre probably less known for his agility versus the other two. Mm -hmm. What can you guys talk about as far as Vader and Bam Bam's agility? Okay. For Super Heavy. I'm going to take this real quick, right? Because Bam Bam was the first big guy at 400 pounds I ever saw him do a goddamn cartwheel, a dropkick. The moonsault would come later. Uh, hold on about that moonsault. All right, so, and then the friggin' headbutt off the top rope. Just, I, the slingshot when he would come out from outside the ring and yeah, then the splash. outside in. Yeah, unbelievable speed. Because you had Andre, who was just so massive. But Bam Bam was just the most agile big man well, I ever seen. Well, here's the funny thing about all these guys. Bam Bam Bigelow, for some reason, had trouble as a heel. People wanted to cheer for Bam Bam. Yeah. Because of the cartwheel, because of the tattoos on the yeah. head, because of his agility. People want to cheer for him, and Vince didn't want to hear it. And another thing, too, about Bam Bam, despite the fact this guy never had a major world title on him, other than maybe, did he have the ECW World Championship? Anybody uh, know that off the top? He did. He beat Taz, didn't I he? I thought he did. I thought at one point he did. But one thing about Bam Bam, too, that some of these other guys, Bam Bam wasn't a WrestleMania main event. Yes. It might not have been the best main event of all time, and no. he might have had to do the job oh, wait a minute. to some coked-up football Andre, player. I think he had a pretty good main event there, too. 
Oh, Andre had a very good main event. I'm not. Uh, remember, we're gonna go with who my number one to three is. But and on the flip side, not to like. That man made that coked up football player. We're not gonna mention any names. No, allegedly coked up football allegedly, player. Allegedly, allegedly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, well, but let's face it, they actually he made LT look pretty good in that. Yeah, damn, he did. Yeah. But okay, so if Bam Bam was the most agile big man I'd ever seen, well then came Vader. All right, Vader, who was bigger, and Vader was the first guy. At that size, I saw do a goddamn moonsault. And Vader was scarier. Vader would beat the shit out of people, too. Yeah, Vader would come in there and throw the... I don't know if that should be a plus, but (laughs) it meant something to me. Even if he wasn't, if those were working punches, those are the best-looking working punches I've ever seen. I don't think they were all working punches. He was beating the crap out of people. That's... uh, Oh, my God. I, I... he might be the first one other than Abby that really scared me. Yeah, Vader was truly the Mastodon. Oh. So we're trying to just find out who's our number one out of these guys. Well, we're working our way down. I mean... You got Andre. Yeah. To Andre, me, Andre has the most legendary status. Oh, absolutely. I, Andre will always be the legend. Documentaries. When's the last time you saw that Vader documentary? Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's, right, uh, right. To this day, he's been dead for 20 years. He died in 1993. So we got so Andre. He's been dead for 26 years, and he came out with a documentary in his life last year. We got Andre Vader Bigelow. Let's start <laughs> eliminating here. Let's go like that. So if it starts with me, I love him, but I'm taking Bam Bam out first. Oh, God. I think you have to take Bam Bam out. He does have that main event with Lawrence Taylor that we talked. I'm sorry, we weren't mentioning his name. With that <laughs> um, allegedly coked up football player. <laughs> right. But other than that, he never really held a big belt, whereas Vader is your... Former WCW multiple time world heavyweight Made champion. Made events with SummerSlam. Made events with Ric Flair. I mean, right. to this day, people remember, mm. even though Ric Flair got the win in the match, him bloodying the hell out of Ric Flair. When it comes to major national promotions getting behind you, they just didn't ultimately pull the trigger on Bam Bam like they did Andre and Vader. Joe, what's your feeling? I would have taken out Andre first with Vader and Bam Bam being more agile. Sure. But since you guys both came down to Bam Bam... We'll take him out, and we'll leave the debate between Vader and Andre. It's called democracy, people. It's right. called democracy. All right. The two old fucks might have something here. Unfortunately, I'm thinking about that. Get my walker. I'm going after Andre. <laughs> so, all right. I think I already made my feelings kind of clear. To me, Andre is the original. He's the guy ultimately people got behind more. Joe's obviously going to disagree with me on this. Where do you fall, though? I'm going to surprise a lot of people on this because it's Vader time. To me, Vader is the best big man of all time. Mm. Um, what he actually could do in that ring compares to nobody. And don't get me wrong, I have the utmost respect for Andre. Sure. I saw Andre as a kid. I remember going to an actual parking lot for uh, automobile sales and Captain Lou Albano and Andre the Giant were there. And I remember looking up at Andre and thinking, holy crap, this guy's big. And it was absolutely amazing, but I just can't give it to Andre. Oh, okay, but hold on. So we're going um, to – I want to make this kind of clear a little bit too. We would both agree that Andre was more over in terms of national promotions getting behind him. we're it. talking about being over, if our category no, I know, I know. is the most over big man of all time, That's Andre not where I'm going with this, but that, yeah, he's got that. So that was kind of our category for eliminating Bam Bam. But I want to say what you're saying is that Vader closes the gap a little more than Bam Bam exactly. on Andre and that, and, and it oversaddles him so much in the athletic that's ability. That's actually inside. exactly what I'm saying. All right. All right. 
Uh, Joe, based on the fact you were already going to eliminate Andre. <laughs> well, I would, yeah, I would have to give it to Vader because in my time, at least, if yeah. I'm picking a big man, Andre was huge, but he was also very limited in what sure. he could do. Vader, I would say up until the end, still could pull out a degree of athleticism. And he I, wasn't as pretty near the end, but he yeah. did pull off a match with Osprey within the last five years. And I will say well, this. He did it within a year of dying. Yeah. yeah. I will say this. When we talk about closing the gap, I suppose, to Bigelow yeah. on, you know, the fame and being put over the top promotion, there's no doubt that Vader overshadows any of these heavyweights in my eyes yeah. in terms of athletic ability. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'll go with, I'll, I'll even make this unanimous. You've converted me. I will go with Vader over Andre on this one. Guys, now you might not understand what this means, yeah. but I have never actually heard Dave actually willing to be converted on anything. <laughs> so this is actually a moment that we're going to celebrate. First um, episode, bitches. So somebody popped up <laughs> champagne. A little bit of bubbly. Guys, we want you involved in this. We want people, this is the working fans pod. It's not my pod. It's not producer Joe's pod. It's not Dave's pod. It's our pod as a wrestling fan nation. Work, motherfuckers. So we want you guys to go on Twitter to at fans working and also go to Instagram for the working fans wrestling underscore pod. And please vote and talk about this and discuss. Come up with your list. If you come up with a list that we want to talk about, we'll put you on the pod, guys. We'll call you up at home, put you on the pod, yeah, and we'll bring your list to the next podcast. We'll do some one-on-one -on -one Skype with you guys, huh? Exactly. You like that. Or FaceTime. Um, yeah, whatever you want. Get on video. Relatively new technology. Mm. But guys, please be involved in this. It is our podcast as a wrestling nation and as a wrestling fandom. And we'll talk to you next time. From myself, AJ Strangebrew. I'm the working fan, Dave. And from Joe. We'll see you next time. Well, I didn't expect bombshell news on the show today, but we're going to go to our top segment, the 531, where each of us bring our top five list on a subject, what's common or what we debate down to three, then we pick a top one. This week, it's the top five women who changed wrestling as we know it. Now, for my top five, I'm going to give it to you right off the bat. I had China, I had Paige, mm. I had Awesome Kong. I had the Bella Twins because they started out as one egg, so they're one person to me. Yep. And Taya Valkyrie. AJ, who's your top five? I actually, for my top five, I have Medusa. I don't think she gets enough credit, quite frankly. She is one of those people who really was the first extremely athletic mm -hmm. females that I saw wrestle. She did a different style. She wasn't going out there to look pretty. She wasn't going out there to dance around. She was going out there to be her own person. Awesome Kong, I agree 100%. I think that when it comes to just being able to manhandle other women and take wrestling to a different style, that she is just above and just so athletic. She's lost some of that now, in my opinion. But the original incarnation to me, she was just extremely athletic for that size. Um, Trish Stratus, you talk about the Bella Twins. To me, she's the original of the Bella Twins. She was that person who was a model, could be absolutely gorgeous on the cover of any magazine. And she just wanted to wrestle. And she went from being eye candy and barking like a dog to being able to wrestle at WrestleMania and be a great women's champion. So I'm always impressed by Trish Stratus. I can't spell this one. Please don't ask me to. 
Hiro Okuto. I believe Hiro Okuto. Right. Uh, yes. She was married to Kintsuki Sasaki. Yes, Kintsuki yeah. Sasaki's wife. We talk about original innovators and being able to actually wrestle and put together matches that other matches on the card might be fake, but I just watched her almost take a lady's head off. That's the kind of match she was having where it made you think this is real. And that's just absolutely incredible and a step above to me. My number five, I think this is probably going to be the most shocking just because she's so new. Mm -hmm. But to me, you got to put Tessa Blanchard on there. Mm. Tessa Blanchard is so incredible in the steps that she's taking right now. And I'm not going to even talk about her lineage because to me, her lineage at this point in her career doesn't even matter anymore. What does matter is every week she comes out, she's competing with guys now, and nobody's going, hey, I don't believe this. She's whooping those guys' asses. Now, we have this uh, list here this week. It's the uh, top five women who have changed wrestling. As we know it. As we know it, right. I thought, now this isn't much different, but top five most influential women in wrestling. So this is kind of the same thing, but I had a little different slant on that, all right? Because we're talking about five... Top women who influenced women yes. wrestling, right? Okay. Yeah. So my number five pick isn't even a wrestler. All right. I went a little different with this. All right. Cindy Lauper. Hear me out, because Cindy Lauper was responsible for the Rock and Wrestling Connection, and she put Captain Lou Albano in her interview, thus creating the feud with Rindy Wichter and Fabulous Moolah, which was on the first WrestleMania, and created a ton of buzz. They were trying to book Rindy Wichter like Hulk Hogan at that time. It didn't work, but they did try. I Cindy makes my number five. I see your logic, and I see your true colors. <laughs> Good. Now, we're going to continue with that. So, number four to me was Wendy Richter, because she had to actually perform. She was actually the woman in the match. All right? That being said, they're kind of neck and neck in that opinion, because I put them in there for the same reason, basically. Now, my number three, Becky Lynch. I mean, she was in WrestleMania. Uh, she made a bet. She made a bet in WrestleMania. And it's funny because I remember having a conversation last year with a couple kids at Takeover, and I remember they were talking about how Becky was possibly going to turn heel. And I was with a friend of mine, and like, oh yeah, I don't really see that. And I was kind of in and out of wrestling at this point, maybe just like keeping up with things. And then I realized, oh wait, these kids are actually smarter than I am. They're focusing on the product a lot more than I am right now, and they're right. And then I just saw this. Round swell for Becky. Like, it just came out of nowhere. And Becky Lynch was the hottest commodity in wrestling last year. And she main evented WrestleMania. So she's my number three. My number two, though, is Ronda Rousey. Because despite the fact she only had a cup of coffee in WWE, they ain't main event in WrestleMania without Ronda Rousey. She was a difference maker, and she took the shit seriously, unlike a lot of other celebrities. Yeah, I'm not putting Charlotte Flair in that list, by the way. She's not my number one. Now, she might be the best worker of that group, and she could be one of my favorites, but that's not what this is about. My number one, ultimately, is Fabulous Moolah. 28 fucking years, that bitch carried women's wrestling forever. And none of you guys put her on the goddamn list. I will say this, Joe, as soon as you said China, I realized I fucked up and should have had it somewhere on my list. So, that being said, let's break this down. Yeah, with my list, I tend to look at it as... Ladies that actually did change wrestling. Like, China was the original Tessa Blanchard, where she was wrestling in men's divisions as an equal. Paige, she came out at the start of the current women's mm-hmm. revolution. And really, I kind of think, set a precedent for the style of wrestling that came forward. 
Awesome Kong, just a bruiser in her time, holding it down for a, a company that I would say has a shaky women's division as time has gone on. Dutch Mantel had high hopes for the knockouts division. They had Gail Kim in there. They had some real talents. They've had some real duds. I only put the Bella Twins on my list because they've led the current social media push. Yeah. They're huge on that. They've gotten young fans in through that. I they get were it. one of the leaders in reality TV. They had yeah. a show early on. Bringing wrestling to a bigger audience. I get it. I'm and like, I had to pick Taya because she came out of Canada, unknown, went down to Mexico, has made a name for herself, and she has been reigning in a place where Tessa is only starting to break into. So I guess my question is, who was multiples on our list so far? Awesome Kong is the only one that I think automatically goes forward. She's on two lists. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, I, I gotta tell you, this is the toughest one. Mm-hmm. Um, that we've done so far. Yeah, I I gotta give it. I'm gonna. I'm giving a vote to Moolah just because, to some degree, she did change women's wrestling as we knew it, for she, better or worse. Or did she create the original women's wrestling that we knew? That's true. She did set up the first model for women's to me, wrestling. She set up the model that had to be broken. Yeah, and that's only recently been broken yeah. too because. She was in control of women's wrestling when it was basically still a sideshow attraction with midget wrestling. But here's my thing. It's Game Changer. Okay. (laughs) Not influential? Because that's what I was going with here. See, I (laughs) thought it was Game Changer. Well, apparently it was by the time we sat down, so I got that wrong. (laughs) So do you guys want to put Moolah on the list? Is that fair enough? I know you guys want to, and I'm outvoted. I don't like it because, to me, she's what set up what we needed changed. Fair enough. Oh. I'm going to keep more on. How about uh, Becky Lynch around Ronda Rousey? I think one of those two deserves I think Becky Lynch deserves to be on there. And now I'm going to tell you what I think about Ronda Rousey. I actually think Ronda Rousey is influential. Mm-hmm. And I think that obviously she brought with her a certain amount of the MMA glory. And she definitely made things big. But I disagree with Dave. I think Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch with Sasha Banks could have headlined WrestleMania just as well as without with Ronda Rousey. To be fair, that's not what I said. I did not say they couldn't headline WrestleMania. I said, at the end of the day, they wouldn't have headlined WrestleMania. Right. Let's break this down. So we got Awesome Kong and Becky Lynch moving ahead. Who else do we include? All right. I uh, think China I is will, worthy. I think China over Moolah for the three. China over Moolah, is that fair enough to you? I'm going to give China in there. That's fine. Because to me, China's a game changer. Moolah was what set what was wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just my opinion. Makes sense. So now we've got Awesome Kong, Becky Lynch, and China. Well, okay. Who becomes the number one out of this group? Out of that group? Awesome Kong's my first one off. First one and off. And I know she was on both of our lists. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't have longevity. She didn't really change it for all of wrestling. Right. She she just had a big effect on wrestling. I'm gonna agree with that. She I, was. I, I, she might be my favorite out of that group. But in terms of like changing things and being influential, yeah, out of that group, you gotta go down to Becky or China. My only question is fair enough because Awesome Kong, she really did her time in Impact, and it's kind of if the tree, if a tree falls, falls in, in the, the forest. Wood, yeah. yeah. So Awesome Kong is off the list. We're down right. to Becky Lynch and China. All right, who wants so to what argue? matters more? Who wants to argue for Becky? I'm still trying to figure out which one I think should be gone. <laughs> I don't really know. Because here's the thing. So China, all right, 
changed women's wrestling, and she was part of that Attitude Era, yeah. the most successful era in wrestling, but not the most successful era in women's wrestling, although women's wrestling was great. We had Trish, we had Lita. It didn't last. It fell off and went back to the models. And Becky still, brought the shit back. And you still had bra and panties matches during that time. By the way, China's the original one, but I want to give an honorable mention real quick to uh, Beth Phoenix. Oh, yeah. Beth Phoenix. Bucking list. Sorry, I go just one. <laughs> you know what? I could go all day with this list and go change my mind because but I feel like Trish was going to be an honorable mention. That being said, on my list, end of the day, I'm going with Becky over China because Becky main invented WrestleMania. That's the tiebreaker for me. I got to agree with you. When you take women's wrestling to the main event of a show previously that people didn't think it could attain, I think you got to give it to Becky Lynch. Now, this, this is going to suck. I hate having to agree with you two schmucks. <laughs> to me, it's got to be Becky Lynch. I hate to say it, but at the end of the day, when it comes to female wrestling, she is the man. I don't necessarily like the moniker the man just due to the fact that women's wrestling at this point has evolved to a point where to me it's just as important to be the woman as it is to be the man. But Becky Lynch at the end of the day has done so much more for women's wrestling itself than China did. AJ, if they want to give us their opinions, where can they find us? Well, first of all, I want your opinions. I want your opinions flat out because I want to be able to disagree with them like I disagree with these two. So please reach out to us. We're the Working Fans Wrestling Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at, at @fansworking, on Instagram at WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then you can find us on the email, WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. Get those listening to us. Tell us your top fives. We're going to take one fan or two couple fans, take your top five, and maybe we'll mix you in here and see why you're wrong. Traditionally in the WWE, if the champions aren't white, it doesn't work out That's as well. a problem. But talking about a hot topic, we're getting to our signature segment, I'll call it, the 531. You're goddamn right. This week, it's the top five people who haven't made it in the Hall of Fame yet, and the only requirement being that they haven't wrestled in the last year. I'm going to start with my list. And if that last statement wasn't hot enough for you, top of my list is Chris Benoit. <laughs> Second on my list, I put the Midnight Express. Oh. I put the two of them because Bobby Eaton, you could put on his own. You can't do that to Stan Lane. You can't do that to Randy Rose or the other guy whose name I can't remember. <laughs> Number three, I had to give it to Kevin Sullivan, the wrestler. Dennis Condray, by the way. Go ahead. Dennis, oh, <laughs> Jesus. I'm sorry, Dennis. You just got over cancer, too. <laughs> Number four, I got Christian. And fifth on that list, I put Lance Storm. Oh, that's a good choice. Yeah. Dave, what is your top five list? Well, number one for me was The Rock. Because I think he's pretty much retired now. And I don't think you're going to argue that that is the most influential performer not in the Hall of Fame. You can argue, but I don't see it in terms of influence point. Uh, number two, Joe, I'm going to match your controversy. I got Chris Benoit on my list, too, because it's not the best person Hall of Fame. It's the best wrestlers who haven't made it in the Hall of Fame. This guy's probably not going in, but he's one of the best damn wrestlers I've ever seen. And I have a feeling I'm probably going to be unanimous on this fucking thing down the road. That being said, number three, Magnum TA. I was surprised he wasn't in the Hall of Fame. This guy's had legendary feuds with Tully Blanchard, Nikita Koloff's best of seven series. His career was cut short. But definitely deserving of this Hall of Fame. Number four, Owen Hart. 
technical wrestler, can do it all in the ring. His matches with Bret Hart. Owen had an outstanding career. I think he's definitely worthy of being in the WWE's Hall of Fame, as is my number five, Flying Brian Pillman, a guy who I believe had not passed already, could have gone on possibly to be the next Rowdy Piper. That good of a heel on the mic. All right. Well, I might as well start off with Chris Benoit. Goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> Again, uh, it's not the best person, Hall. It's the best worker. Yeah. If it's the best person, uh, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast. Mm. It, it's mm. definitely it's definitely the best worker, and Chris Benoit's work rate is what got him over. It wasn't his thrilling promos where he would go into huge detail about his matches and describing what he was going to do to his opponents. It was his work rate, and there is no better pure worker and more believable worker that I've ever seen in my career other than maybe Brock Lesnar. Kurt Angle, too. Okay. Uh, maybe Kurt Angle, okay. but I right. saw the matches between Benoit and Kurt Angle. I still remember those My matches. God. Yeah. Owen Hart. You know what? <laughs> uh, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. I listen to him a little somewhere here. <laughs> he, yeah, he needs to do it for the fans, quite frankly. The fans who not only cheered for Owen Hart, but when Owen Hart was on the road, he would actually stay with fans. Mm-hmm and bored with them while he was traveling and his fan base loves him probably as much as anybody um we both have magnum ta magnum ta to me as a child one of the most heartbreaking things that i saw in my lifetime was that car accident and i know joe's a couple years younger than we are so i don't think it had quite the impact on his childhood that it had on us joe's shaking his head callously no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but I, mean, I remember him not being able to stand up but that's but, as far yeah. as yeah. I had it well, weebles wobble but they don't fall down mm. me and Dave I can tell you both of us can remember in our childhood believing Magnum TA was going to take the belt from Flair I mean I was probably a little more sad when Andre ripped the cross off of Hogan but I get it <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's a little screwy um, Rick Martell that's a good one I didn't know he wasn't in the uh, Hall of Fame he is not that's uh, they put Tito in by himself. They did not put in Strike Force. So I think Strike Force wasn't in yeah. the <laughs> But uh, Rick Martel is a former AWA champion. Very good worker throughout his whole career. Probably has made as many wrestlers look good. I think the match that all of us remember him for is the blindfold match with Jake the Snake Roberts. <laughs> but he's one of those iconic wrestlers. And to me, he's the best wrestler ever from Canada. I mean, here's a guy that was the AWA heavyweight champion in the early 80s. Went on to have a great career in the WWF. And then went on, a lot of people don't remember this, during the Monday Night Wars. Went to WCW and had the TV title for a little exactly. bit, too. Exactly. So. Very good wrestler. I can't believe you no-sold my best um, wrestler ever from Canada. Yeah, I would kiss my ass on that. Now, AJ, you said you wrestled with Rick Martel. What can you, I did. Can you tell us a little bit about him? I got to work matches with him. And first of all... One of the nicest people on the planet, bar none. He helped me so much in that ring. He obviously, being the veteran, having wrestled as long as he did, called everything in the ring that we did. And he made those spots so easy for me. And I can tell you, at the end of that match, I shook his hand. I thanked him. And I have never meant it more than working with Rick Martell. I and re- it's probably the reason why I put him so high up on my Hall of Fame. I remember you telling me a story, too, that uh, I didn't quite get when I was younger, but what a class guy Rick Martell was, calling his wife all the time, I'd be oh, home, yeah. checking in on the family. I also wasn't aware that a lot of the wrestlers in that era might not have been the nicest guys to their wives yeah, and stuff. I too. was very impressed with Rick Martell. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how impressed I was with him. I can't put it into words. And then I have one more. I, I got to tell you, I'm gonna, I had my list. I started my list, and at first I had put 
Ole Anderson. Mm. I crossed off Ole Anderson. Then you put Mike Awesome. No. Then I put in Nikita Koloff because yeah. I realized Nikita Koloff not in the Hall of Fame. I crossed out Nikita Koloff, and the reason why is because the man who ended Bruno's role as world heavyweight champion, He's not in the Hall of Fame. Ivan Koloff, is not in the Hall of Fame. Oh, How shit. can the man who beat Bruno San Martino and had the impact on wrestling that Ivan Koloff had not be in the WWE Hall of Fame? Well, uh, so this is where we're going to narrow down to the three. Joe's been keeping track here. I don't really have to keep track to know that Benoit made all three of our lists. <laughs> Benoit is a definite first ballot Hall of Famer. And I think given the problems that Benoit created for wrestling fans when discussing mm. overall, just being talked about anymore, I want to give my personal reason why I included him. Because I know a lot of people, the horrible tragedy that happened, they don't even want to discuss him in wrestling. Sure. But if, when I remember back to my childhood, he was a dynamic performer. He made those WCW programs pop, just his intensity. Yep. When you're looking at trying to sell something as legitimate as possible, Benoit lived and died for that. And if you read the book Ring from Hell by Matthew Randazzo, it outlines both Benoit's coming up in the business and his downfall. And while drugs is a huge part of it, he was an undersized wrestler that got into a business that doesn't value that. He picked the Dynamite Kid as a role model, both in the way that he took to the ring, the dangerous style, a little bit the attitude, and then when you put the drugs and everything on top of that, you got a guy trying so hard to do his best. He is at the top of his game and doesn't believe it for a second. So that is just a cocktail for disaster. Him and his whole family paid the price. And I think, while he probably shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, I don't think we shouldn't talk about him as a performer at all. Like that, right. th I, We should still be able to talk about him as a wrestler. We don't have to live in fear. When they did the tribute the night after, before they had known what happened, with Chris Benoit, you got people's genuine feelings about Chris Benoit. Mm -hmm. The amount of tears, the amount of people who let you inside and let you know what kind of a locker room leader he was. He was that guy who would give advice on every match. He was that guy that if you asked him, hey, watch my match, give me feedback, he was going to give you real honest feedback that would help you progress. And look at how he was during the Eddie Guerrero tribute. Like, could barely keep it together. And I think part of Eddie dying, believe it or not, was what started to spiral his depression. I know it's easy to point the finger at the steroids and obviously the concussions and having the damage to the brain that they described as an 80-year-old man with Alzheimer's. It's easy to point at those things, and those are obviously the big things that gave to it. And I don't even blame the steroids. I know people want to blame the steroids. It's more the head injuries. It has more to do with the head injuries. Yeah. And then... Maybe was, also the nature of the business. A guy pushing himself way past physical limits. And he right. was writing in a diary. They have a diary that they found on the scene where he was still writing notes to Eddie Guerrero up until the point that he died. And the person that he contacted the day that he died was Chavo Guerrero. Right. So you can't tell me that the effects of the sadness. He watched a friend of his from Calgary, Owen Hart, die tragically. 
He lost his best friend in the world in Eddie Guerrero. He had another friend of his in Brian Pillman pass away. The man was besieged with trauma and then giving us, the fans, what we longed for in the matches that we loved. He did so much damage to himself that he was not the person that people knew beforehand. And that's the common theme with that is a lot of people will tell you that's not the man they remember. Chris Jericho has said that plenty of times. Like, you know, he wrote in his book, you know, about Chris Benoit was my friend, not Chris Benoit, the guy at his last few days. I don't know who that was. And you got to look at it like who would handle it well? It's almost like being a soldier in war, seeing everybody, all your friends around you dying mm. and knowing that that is most likely coming at you. And not excusing what he did, but that's where you go off the rails when you have that kind of anxiety and pressure. And I know as a former wrestler, it's going to be easy for people to paint me with the brush and go, well, he's sympathetic to him because he's a wrestler and whatever they want to say. I want you to understand at the end of the day, nobody's okaying what happened. No. None of us are sitting here and going that Nancy um, Benoit or that uh, his son deserved to die the way that they did. Nope. First of all, he was also a big woman fan. And as a human being, nobody deserves that. Right. So please, if you're going to tweet us and send messages about, oh, but Benoit's a monster. Yeah, we know. In the final moments of his life, he was a monster. We know what happened. You can save those tweets or you can shove them up your ass, whatever you want to do with them. Now, um, let's get back to the top three list. I just wanted to take a minute to pay what I felt was proper tribute to Benoit the Worker. Uh, Moving on, Owen Hart. Owen Hart was on both your lists. I mean, he paid the ultimate Uh. price on the job, and the fact that he's not in the Hall of Fame, I know it's his wife's choice, but I would think he's got to be one of the biggest ones to be in there. Well, yeah, and and he made multiple lists, and he's had a tie for two votes, so to me, he's got to move on to the final three. Alright, so moving on. Um, I do want to make an executive decision. Yes. I think we should leave Benoit off the final three. I think we've discussed him enough, quite frankly. Yeah, we gave him. We I think we gave him the proper highlight. So. Yeah. So okay. So if that's the case, then that Magnum means, TA is going to actually move on too, right? So we got Owen Hart, Mag- and I was going to say Magnum TA was going to be the last of the three. So who I, do we pick for another one now? Because well, I thought Benoit was going to be the definite one to go on and I, win. I I I I do, and I think that he would win this. And quite frankly, I think that it would be wrong if we were to put him as the person who deserves most to be in the Hall of Fame. Sure. And right. I, I just think that's inappropriate as much as we all appreciate what he did. From a work standpoint, right. I'm going to exactly. give a vote to the Midnight Express. Not just because I chose them, but during the 80s and the 90s, if Cornette is such a big name, the Midnight Express deserves to be right up there with him. They came to power together both in the NWA and the territories. Powerhouse package. They still sell to this day. Who are you leaning towards, Dave? Well, I think if I give a different name to Joe, you're going to have the final vote here. <laughs> one of us, so I was trying to lean towards you picking somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I got my words out first. You did. So, uh, man, I'm sorry. Like This guy, he's not somebody who I think about like in that terms of like that old-timers or anything like that, but... Man, The Rock is just on my list. He's the most influential. I mean, he's going to be there anyway. Is there a reason to disqualify him? Wow. He probably deserves that spot that we were going to give to Benoit. He's transitioned from wrestling to movies. 
He's a draw on his own name. All right, let's let's be. So let's just say if we just let, let's be clear. Uh, the Rock belongs in there no matter what. Right, right. Yeah, so, but the Rock is it, going in. Okay. So okay. So this is the best you're not getting. Yeah, I'm gonna give. Uh, so wait a minute. Then if that's the case, so let me tell, let me back up here a little bit before right. we go to that thing because he, now he's got the Midnight Express. I, I'm not disagreeing with that. I want us to take an opportunity to look. I think I know who you're gonna pick anyway. But you know what? Doesn't matter. Midnight Express. Because <laughs> I was thinking Brian Pillman, but at the end of the day, Midnight Express has had more successful I, longev- longevity. There's part of me that wants to go with Ivan Koloff just because it's long past. Ooh, two. Ivan Koloff is a good one. And I'll be on. And I'll be honest with you. I don't think Ivan's ever going to go in. Yeah, yeah. This is the most wishy-washy I've or, ever been on or, subject. Or he's going to be lumped in with one of those horrible groups. Yeah. That the WWE is going to go in with the Russians. I believe the Midnight Express are going to go in. What? Is this list about people that aren't going in? No, 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 no. It is not uh, in yet. You're just trying to find a different I, I'm just trying to find a, a little slightly different twist on it here. And one of the Russians already is in, by the way, Barry Darso. Special <laughs> cruise Jeff is already in. Yes. <laughs> but I'm actually going to go Midnight Express. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to mention Ivan Koloff again because Ivan Koloff, I don't believe, is going to ever get that opportunity on yeah. his own, which is a shame. Um, I am going to go Midnight Express, and the reason why is, to me, you don't have the great matches that the Rock and Roll Express had without the Midnight Express. Okay, so Every what? hero needs a villain, Zarface. Exactly, it. and so, Jim Cornette, and Jim Cornette as part of that was absolutely incredible. So we got Magnum TA, the Midnight Express, and Owen Hart, is that correct? Yeah. Ah. All right, who do you eliminate first on that? Go ahead. Based on, unfortunately, tragic body of work. Yep. Magnum TA only lasted about five years. Okay. And he doesn't have the body of work that the other people have. And I know it's not fair. He didn't follow it up with enough of an announcing career, you it, don't think, or enough of his, being a personality? No his, no, his announcing career was maybe five gigs at the most. And I mean, he had more, but it's yeah. not like he stands out. Exactly. And maybe I, there wasn't Bob Cottle and Jim Ross during yeah. that time period either. And, and I love Magnum, obviously putting him on yeah. my list. and. But to me, he's got to be the first one off. I don't know how you feel, Dave. Uh, when you say body of work, it has to be him or Owen. So, yeah. Um, I'm Owen gonna... wrestled over a decade. No, I know. I know. But and he wrestled Liger in Japan. And, but I'm saying the body of work, the Midnight Express has the longest body of work. So You're, The length of your body of work doesn't necessarily have to... Like, right. If you've got good quality within a short amount of time, being the son of a promoter in Stampede... That's going to give you a large amount of work that little to no one saw, but that paid off in dividends when he made it to the WWE and was just as polished as his brother. With I feel like we're already discussing Midnight Express and Owen Hart here. Madden's oh, in. yeah, that's what we're, we're down to. Madden's out. out. Madden's out. All right, fair enough. I'm going to tell this story uh, Jim Cornette told on his podcast, and this is going to give you my vote. Um, Brett and Owen ran into the Midnight Express at an airport. Uh, back, uh, you know, during the days when everybody's here. And I guess they Brett... Did out? <laughs> no, Brett, uh, they all talked to each other. Brett was so wrapped up in the WWE, WWE days and stuff and everything. And I guess he went up to Owen and asked him, hey, who were those guys? And this is back when Brett was teaming with Jim, you know, the Anvil Heart Foundation, obviously. And uh, Owen goes, oh, that's Midnight Express. They're the greatest tag team in the world. And Brett goes, no, that's me and Jim. <laughs> so my point is, if Owen Hart thought the Midnight Express was the greatest tag team in the world, then I love Owen. Owen's actually my favorite person on all our lists, by the way. But 
I'm going to go midnight. Joe won me over. Um, okay, so I agree with that one. I do think they were the greatest tag team in the world. Mm. Plus, they were great no matter which combination it was. Yeah. Stan Wayne and Bobby Eaton was just as good as Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton. And one more thing about this, too. Bobby Eaton had great world title matches with Ric Flair. Yeah. Which also makes me sad because, uh, oh, well, we did say they had to compete in the last year. And the Steiner Brothers might have made my list otherwise. Well, guys, I hate to end this in a stalemate, but... I was only giving my side for the Midnight Express. <laughs> I'm actually pro-Owen. Okay. Uh, uh, Owen, to me, was actually the best wrestling heart. I think technically and... Not Keith? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, not Keith. No. Um, I think technically-wise, I know that Brett's the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. I think Owen actually wrestled better matches because he could wrestle a different variety of matches, whereas Bret Hart basically wrestled the same match every time I saw him. I will argue that point, though. <laughs> Bret, one of his greatest claims to fame was he never hurt anybody in the ring. No. Ask Stone Cold Steve Austin about Owen Hart. <laughs> <laughs> no well, this best. is our first ever non-agreement on yeah. the issue, so we're going to put it out to the audience. Who do you think should be the best worker yeah. that hasn't made it into the Hall of Fame, that hasn't wrestled in the last year? AJ, tell them where to find us. And folks, you hear that? You know what the music means. AJ, let them know where we're at. Twitter, at FansWorking. Email is WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. Facebook, WorkingFansWrestlingPod. We are now on Spotify, as you know, listening to this right now, at WorkingFansPod. Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod, Google Podcasts as well. Logo is by Jeremy Tate at James Vanderbeek. That's J A I M S B A N D E R B E E K. And our intro and exiting song, as always, is by CB at Rise to It Records. Thank you very much, guys. Enjoy your week. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week.